This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. time is it? Nobody knows. We're in the week between Christmas and New Year. Your blood is more quality street than actual blood. 90% of your weight is made up of turkey leftovers. You've not changed out your Christmas pyjamas since Boxing Day and you're absolutely dreading the thought of going back to work. Luckily enough, us here at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet have one more central to give you, a very special central to help you dust off the cobwebs and get some joy in that boring week between Christmas and New Year. Yes, it is our ESSR Central End of Year Awards. Very special show, and I'm here with two very normal people, Scott McLeod and David Hockney. How are you guys? Uh, that was a strong word. Hi, it's a shame <laughs> you mentioned the, the crimble limbo, because I'm already back at work uh, this week, so it's uh, it's not been not been great from my end, but you know I'll just, just power through these last couple of days. Well, before we get to our end of year awards, just a wee reminder, you can look at all of our uh, back catalogue of Central from the past year and all our other shows at at Super, uh, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify and Android. And then that at Suplex Retweet, I nearly slipped out there. That's our social media handle. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, you name it, we're on it. Thank you very much to everyone in our uh Listeners League, David Campbell's going to be a fit that I'm mentioning that on this show. <laughs> our, our Listeners League draft and our uh, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet community page on Facebook for helping us decide these awards. These awards are a mix of your guys' votes and the votes from all of our team here at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. Uh, guys, I mentioned beforehand, we've got a couple that we might have to tie break on the show here, a couple of tied awards. But there's one award that's an absolute runaway, and it's our Female Wrestler of the Year. We'll start off with that, guys. Uh, just before we get to the winner, honourable mention to the only two other women who got mentioned. The current <laughs> AEW Women's Champion, Jamie Hayter, she received four votes. Uh, Scott, Jamie Hayter doing some great stuff over uh, on Dynamite, and of course, no longer interim champion. Yeah, definitely. I, I think... Jamie Hayter, the reason she kind of didn't get as many votes is her kind of story this year has kind of been a bit of a slow burn from kind of almost a sidekick, for lack of a better word, to, to Britt Baker and now women's champion in her own right. 
And like, it's, like we said, there was a runaway winner. There wasn't a lot of mention, I don't think, from AEW's side of things for the women's division. And I do think it does speak to the still inconsistent nature of the booking of that division, plus the fact they had Thunder Rose had all the controversy there. So if you're going to pick anybody from AEW, it's probably Jimmy Eater. And who knows, maybe she'll get more votes if we do this again next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we might see the the student and the teacher go one-on-one at maybe all out, if that's the slow burn they're going for. Britt Baker versus Jamie Hayter. Uh, David, another woman who got two votes in her poll, uh, and when we tell you how many votes <laughs> our winner eventually got, uh, you'll understand why. Uh, Rhea Ripley doing some great stuff with the Judgment Day and Edge, and then going on to do some great stuff with Balor, uh, Balor Priest and Dominic Mysterio as well. The the videos of them showing up to the Mysterios at every holiday is absolutely hilarious. Yeah, she's really sort of broken to her own as sort of uh, a leading figure as part of Judgment Day and the way she and Dominic are just a really great double act. They've got such good chemistry on screen and I think it's clear that they're building her up for something really special next year. You know, I think, you know, much like Scott said, I think she could be in contention with uh, Female of the Year uh, by this point next year. But not to say, you know, she hasn't already accomplished so much in her time in WWE so far. I think she, the first, the last sort of year or so has been kind of mixed, especially the first half when it was, you know, she was sort of in lost tag teams or failing to win the uh, the women's championship in capacity. But it wasn't until that heel turn and the aligning with Judgment Day, that's when her year really started to pick up. Yeah, I agree. And obviously a massive, a massive part of that has been the double act with Dominic Mysterio. Uh, Absolutely hilarious. I think the two of them are great. I would love to see her. I, I look forward to seeing her going up against Beth Phoenix because she was really good uh, going up and holding her own against the likes of Edge and Rey Mysterio. I think there is a, a great storyline with Beth Phoenix there for WrestleMania. But runaway winner, uh, Bianca Belair absolutely trouncing the competition in this one. Uh, she really has been on on a different level than everyone else in WWE this year. She won the Women's Elimination Chamber in Saudi Arabia. She had another great performance in the Royal Rumble, uh, even though the Royal Rumble wasn't that well received. And she broke Becky Lynch's streak, a unbeaten champion for over three years, Bianca Belair broke that at WrestleMania and then going on uh, to beat her again at SummerSlam and then the feud with Bailey and Damage Control. Um, she's just on another level right now, Scott. Yeah, 100%. I think there was very little doubt that she was going to be a contender, if not the runaway you know, favourite for this award. I think it's just because she's one of the people who's been performing at such a high level, putting on such quality matches and the women's division on a regular basis and one of the like major two the top two uh like wrestling companies like she'd been having great matches on TV against likes of Carmela, Sonya Deville, Asuka. Like she had that triple threat I think a lot of people have uh, slept on the I think it was at Hell in a Sale her Asuka and Becky was a great triple threat. I think she's got the best like win percentage of any woman in the company right now. Some would argue with a feud with Bailey and how weirdly that went. Uh, a bit too much in some cases, but you know, I think she's been. I think WWE at times has struggled to 
finding prominent people they can build their division around outside of the four horsewomen, which is why they keep going back to him. I think Bianca has really set herself apart from everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. And David, 70% of the vote. Mm. Um, it is, she's not only the, she's not only the highest percent, uh, she's not only the most voted for, sorry, women of the year, she's the most voted in any category of the year. Like, no one else has run away with a vote the way she has. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, like, Bianca, as soon as she got that call up to the main roster, it was a bit of a slow burner, but I'd say more ever since the Royal Rumble win in 2021, she has been the de facto shining light of WWE's women's division. And listing all the accomplishments she did last year, she's, like as you mentioned, she won the Elimination Chamber. She also won War Games this year, both on her first attempts. And she beat Bailey three tight, three pay-per-views in a row, two of which were stipulation matches. And it's... Uh, I mean... It's, it's difficult to say where Bianca's going to go next because she's accomplished so much and now that she's reached the top, um, I just hope that she doesn't like do like feel like she accomplishes less in the next year now because she's already done so much. I think the best she can do now is now that she's practically at the top, she just needs to try and keep the momentum going as best she can, even if it's just like slight tweaks to her character or direction. Yeah, I agree. Um, Scott, where do you see Bianca going? Do you do you see her maybe doing a, a Charlotte Flair going into the Rumble as a champion? Or do is this Alexa Bliss feud the end of the line for her championship reign? I don't know. I think she's definitely going to hold it to wrestling. I think she has to, at this stage, you know, just go for like the full like year as champion. I don't know who you have her face at the Rumble because a lot of time for like the women's belts and the, the men's world titles, it often does seem like a filler feud no matter who they face because everybody, like nobody really expects them to like lose the belt at the Rumble. So I feel like if you can't find a challenger for her, they maybe put in the Rumble, but it doesn't seem like something her character would do. It does seem like something that would suit a heel like like a shot where like when Brock did it as a heel. So I don't know, maybe, maybe they carry this Alexa Bliss thing over to the Rumble. The talk is that we is penciled in for WrestleMania. Well, David, we obviously mentioned Bianca Belair, Rhea Ripley, and Jamie Hayter. Um, mm-hmm. The only women nominated. Is there anyone you would have nominated uh, other than Bianca Belair? Hmm, it's difficult to say, really. But um, I think if I was to put maybe a tag team, actually, no. One person I would probably put in would probably be in Mandy Rose. But yeah. uh, obviously she's not with the company anymore. But despite that, she actually did accomplish a fair bit when she was down in NXT, you know, like passing one year as NXT Women's Champion. She unified uh, the UK Women's title as well. And, you know, I think everybody, including myself, was doubting her to an extent. But mm-hmm. I think she over-delivered in a lot of ways. And I think that can't go like without at least mentioning how well she actually did yeah i agree uh yeah. what about you Scott? well i agree with the the mandy rose suggestion by by dave i think a lot of people slept on like how much she'd kind of developed in her time in NXT, especially as the champion i think i'd we mentioned already but uh we went talking about bianca Belair, but i think i'd maybe put becky in here as well 
Because I think it was clear that they were built into the eventual rematch of her and Bianca for WrestleMania. But when she was doing this stuff for uh, like Live at Day One, Do Drop at the Rumble, and like Lita in Saudi Arabia, like none of those feuds ever felt too like filler. Like she got something out of all of them. Then the great mm-hmm. match at WrestleMania, the kind of like slow descent into badness, and kind of the little feud with her and Asuka both competing over who was going to get the next shot. The match at SummerSlam, and I know she went away for a little while with an injury, but came out before Survivor Series. I think the pop that she got on the SmackDown before Survivor Series and at the Survivor Series itself, she was just so much of a star she is that no matter how long she's away from, she'll get that, that major pop when she comes back and then get this tease for something with her against Bailey and Damage Control. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's move on to best non-wrestler. So um, some of the people nominated in this category um Pat McAvey nominated not only in Best Commentator but in Best Non Wrestler. Uh, mm-hmm. Triple H. Would that work? Because I mean, technically, yeah, did wrestle matches. Three matches. This yeah. Year. Yeah, but he's not really a wrestler. But you know, anyway, uh, Triple H obviously retired now, so not a wrestler. Um, I wouldn't have voted him personally just for the fact that he's done a lot of good off screen, but he's not done anything on screen. I think the best non wrestler has to have a a role on screen. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's just like everyone's still wrapped up in the goodwill that he's built since taking over that they've nominated him for this award. Uh, Taz getting an honourable mention here. Uh, it's Taz. I like Taz. as well. He He's like Booker T. He's shit, but you know, you know what you're getting with him. <laughs> I mean, I, I take Taz over Booker T if I'm honest with you because Oh, no, I don't know if you see this. Occasionally, there's these weak compilations of like Taz just randomly singing along to wrestlers' theme songs. He likes like when the <laughs> heat came back to Cairo, my we would say he just sing the burner and then during the long he, guitar bit. Can you imagine if he was on commentary at Clash at the Castle and he sang Metalingus along with everybody else in the arena? Like how awesome would that have been? <laughs> uh, another AEW uh, pick, Stoke Hathaway, getting a, a pick here. He was the leader of MGFs. Sorry, the manager of MGF's faction before they went their separate ways had obviously uh, some time in NXT this past year with uh, the Diamond Mine. So he seems like someone who I think Triple H would have loved to have kept around, but he just didn't fit the mould of what NXT 2.0 was at the time. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. he definitely had he definitely had potential for a main roster manager type role. Maybe like something along the lines of if we're going classic here, maybe like Armando Estrada or the uh, the controversial AW. Maybe he mm. could have filled those shoes in some capacity, just without the the Kobe Bryant jokes or the Cuban cigars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think it's, it's weird because like WWE doesn't really do managers that much outside of like Paul Heyman and to an extent MVP. I think Triple H likes managers more. Invincible, so Vince Triple H probably would have had a place for him on the main roster, but like you said, he didn't fit NXT. And he, it's weird how he came in, he was with Jade, and then jumped from her to this stuff with like Ethan Page and that, and all those guys, where it doesn't feel like he fits there either because like he's obviously very charismatic, it just Ooh, and he can actually, help anybody, he can be my face for anybody, but like I don't think they have a real place for him. There's someone we didn't mention for female of the year, Jade Cargill. I think her momentum has slowed down and the whole unbeaten run 
has been affected by the fact that there's not been many, or uh, depending how you ask, any good matches in there. Like, uh, I like the kind of, I like the like short burst kind of match she had with Athena all out. I think she can have great good matches, but I think her in ring mm. quality is a bit too inconsistent for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. Um, <clears throat> sorry about that. Choking on my own. Choking on my own. Rolling touch gone now. No. <laughs> <laughs> but there was, there was two clear favourites here. Um, I voted for the one that finished second place in the vote with 31.58% of the vote. Uh, William Regal, manager of the Blackpool Combat Club and a flirty lover of Excalibur <laughs> or the man in the mask. Um, Scrumptious little jam tart. <laughs> William, William Regal um, really did bring some life into a lot of AEW. The likes of uh, Danielson and Moxley. There was there was never really a feud there, other than just we want to be at the top. Or oh, I don't I don't team with someone if I've not bled with them. William Regal really brought them together and made it feel like a unit along with the likes of uh, Claudio. It, it didn't feel thrown together. It felt like William Regal's hand-picked stable. And he's now obviously jumped back to WWE. It looks like he's going to have a really prominent role in the Triple H organisation. I'm glad he's back in WWE as someone who watches WWE more than AEW. But at the same time, Scott, I'm just a bit disappointed we maybe didn't get to see William Regal as heel manager of MGF. Yeah, I think there was a lot of potential there. And like, I know there's a lot of confusion about the way it went, how they quickly brought him off and then had that weird explanation of him, like pre-recorded a message because he had a feeling something bad was going to happen, which I think basically shows that he's a good judge of character because MGF did turn on him and the idea that MGF hasn't like fully forgiven him for the email and all that. But, you know, I think it was the case if he didn't want to stay, then obviously there was no place that storyline was going to go. So I think they did the best they could have under the circumstances. But, you know, I remember when he he showed up at, at Revolution when Danielson and Moxley couldn't stop fighting like a dad having to pull a party together. Right there, you buddy rabbit. <laughs> buddy, stop your carry-on. And I think they got the most, or the, I think they got their money's worth out of them when they got him to announce the, the blood and guts match. You want to say the line, <laughs> say the legally distinct line, Regal. Uh, and then obviously the stuff with Excalibur, I think, will be one of the things people most fondly remember, which he does about his plug. It's like, oh, you know, I just, because Excalibur's got a lot in his way, he's got a lot to remember. I'm just trying to make him smile for 10 seconds. And that's why he does it. And love him. On some commentary, when, when Taz got freaked out by what he said to Excalibur, oh, I'm eccentric Englishman. I can get away with it. <laughs> hey, David, a lot of people maybe weren't happy with the pairing of Regal and MGF, uh, saying about how you know MGF himself is really great on the mic. But I, I likened it at the time to the CM Punk Paul Heyman partnership, yeah. where Punk didn't need Heyman, but Heyman certainly elevated Punk. That's exactly what I was thinking when you made that comparison there. Like it had echoes of punk Heyman in 2012 uh, but my disappointment with it is uh, they just pulled the plug on it too soon with Regal obviously going back to WWE and being written off 
after MJF gets his new BBB, the the Burberry belt, whatever it's called. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Regal was good for Blackpool Combat Club to make sure that they got a bit of presence on AEW. And, you know, Regal has always been a, a prominent non-wrestling figure in WWE for over like three decades now. It's... I just feel like he was, again, wasted in his role in AEW. He has a much more sort of general manager vibe about him rather than being a wrestler's manager, shall we say. I mean, he could easily have just been like a corrupt manager or a corrupt commissioner. But in this instance, yeah, it's it just sold short for one other person. Yeah, and obviously we mentioned Paul Heyman, CM Punk. Paul Heyman, uh, 42.11% of the vote here. Uh, Paul Heyman, our best non-wrestler of the year. Um, Ed Roll is the wise man. Um, obviously he'd went back to Brock Lesnar, uh, then rejoined Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble, was part of Roman Reigns' uh, bloodline, He's still there as the wise man. His interactions with Sami Zayn have been brilliant. His sort of uh, rivalry with Kayla Braxton, who's just determined to get the scoop off him, uh, he does not like her. And his continued promos uh, filling in sort of, as Roman Reigns gets to a Brock Lesnar-style schedule, Paul Heyman being there, keeps the storyline alive and keeps the promo quality alive. Uh, no surprise here that he's won best non-wrestler. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he even, like the yo-yoing between Lesnar and Roman at the start of the year was was very, very cleverly well done. Like, even I got shocked when he handed the title back to Roman to cost Brock the title against Bobby Lashley. I even, he even remembering that mental SummerSlam match, uh, the Last Man Standing match. He actually mm-hmm. ate, he actually took a bump and ate an F five through the table. So I mean, he's not afraid to you know take a hit for the team, even in his non wrestling capacity. But I always found him as the the glue that kept the the bloodline together. You know, he's sort of silently in the background doing Roman's bidding and just making sure everything falls into place. I mean, that's that's why he's a, a future Hall of Famer, that for sure. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Scott, no real surprises here. We have more WWE viewers than AEW viewers and the on the team, uh, but only, only a small uh, gap between Regal and Heyman. I personally would have went for Regal, but given everything he's done this year, and for the past two years consistently in the main event scene, you really can't begrudge Paul Heyman this, can you? No, not really. I mean, I did vote also for uh, for William Regal, and I don't know if it's really to, to do with the more dairy viewers, because I think Regal is like well-loved enough by a large portion of the wrestling community that it doesn't really matter where he, what company he's a part of, but I think it's just, a, like you said, the fact that Paul Heyman's been so... Like consistently one of the best talkers, one of the best managers, like advocates, whatever you want to call him. Like f- for so many years now, also he had the stuff. He was a big part of the Roman Brock storyline at the start of the year. But I felt like he'd kind of, even though he's always there to deliver a good promo, he he was kind of fading in the background of the bloodline storyline with like Sami Zayn taking quite a bit of focus. So that's, which is why I didn't kind of vote for him. 
but like I said, I think it's just the how consistently good he still is after all this time. I think is what endears him to a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. Um, is there anyone maybe there that you disagree with who'd been nominated, or anyone who hasn't been nominated who you would have voted for if you didn't vote for who you did? Uh, I don't think I would have. Like I said, I still disagree with the idea of Pat being in the non-wrestler thing. I think if we're going to nominate a commentator, save it for the commentary kind of category. Plus, mm. he also has wrestled this year. Mm. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I wouldn't have went with Rene Paquette. I just, you know, I really do enjoy the Sessions podcast. I think she's really good at that. However, she's not been on AEW TV long enough for me to think that she deserves that rollover, the likes of Heyman and uh, William Regal. But we are going to have um, our first tiebreaker, and it's for pay-per-view of the year, guys. So I'll read you some of the votes. Uh, Survivor Series, Extreme Rules, they only received a single vote. Um, Some people I said Survivor Series. uh, Some people picked All Out. Uh, Some people, quite a few people picked Forbidden Door. It didn't actually get that like little votes it actually did I'm just checking here how many votes it got it got 15 15.79% of the vote did Forbidden Door and considering there's a three-way tie for three-way tie sorry for first I don't think that's exactly bad so with 21.5% of the vote a three-way tie here guys Wrestlemania SummerSlam and Clash at the Castle. David, you've kept it quite quiet, but you were actually at Clash at the Castle. <laughs> yes, I was. Uh, and I let me tell you, it was quite the experience to see it live. That's for sure. I, and a couple of matches just carried that pay-per-view on its own. There was only really one that sort of dampened the flow a little bit, but it was saved, you know, with a few very solid mid-card matches in between. Everybody was electric for Edge and Rey Mysterio versus Judgment Day and obviously for Roman versus Drew. Um, I think the one thing that let Clash at the Castle down was probably the ending, which was supposed to be off-camera, and that was Drew and Tyson Fury singing uh, American Pie and Don't Look Back in Anger after everybody was just completely deflated that Drew lost. Like, myself included, I was just sitting there like, okay, this is a little awkward, What what's happening? But SummerSlam, I don't think, gets enough credit because you had... It was the first sort of Triple H-controlled pay-per-view. And on that show, you had Bailey returning, you had Damage Control debuting, you had a cracker of a match with Bianca and... Uh, Becky uh, and the last man standing match as a whole was actually pretty pretty good for a potential match of the year candidate especially you know when Brock comes out with the tractor just flips the ring over I mean that was just insane Wrestlemania as well I think was definitely a solid pay-per-view all round but there were just some moments on it and I just thought oh god why the hell is this happening so out of those three by a slim margin, and you might be surprised at this, but I'm actually going to go with SummerSlam. 
Hey, Scott, what about you? Uh, and I'm not saying it's just because I voted for it. I, I think I would still go to WrestleMania. I mean, I know it has the distinction of also being two times, which might mean it's got a lot more stuff kind of going for it. But like, if you think of a lot of the, like the big moments when you look back on the year, like you said, Becky v Bianca, the return of Cody Rhodes, yeah, Steve Austin returning, which somehow isn't the most surprising thing that happened this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on night two, you had uh, a really good, an underrated like triple threat for the Raw, Raw Tag titles. You had a four for the women's tag titles, which is better than the booking of the women's tag titles would believe you it would be. Yeah, Sami Zayn v Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> one of the biggest sports entertainment matches ever. We didn't realise it, but we saw the last match of Vince McMahon and also the last ever stunner to Vince McMahon. And with a sell like that, thankfully, it is. And uh, <laughs> you talk about deflating the ending. I think the, the ending of WrestleMania is the only thing that lets it down because I think we had so much happening and we didn't really get much difference with from like Roman Brock matches we've seen before, which is I think is why when a tractor got involved at SummerSlam, people were like, "Oh, good, something different and insane." Fucking tractors involved here. But I think Clash of the Castle has one match that kind of overshadows everything else, and I think a lot of people who vote for it are primarily doing it. And also, I would do it if I was there as well. But I think a lot of people are voting for Clash of the Castle because they were there. I think Clash of the Castle. I can only view it through my eyes, unfortunately. And <clears throat> I was on holiday at the time it aired. Um, BT Sport posted constantly on social media and basically spoiled everything uh, before I went back. Um, I watched it, you know, like two days after I got back for holiday and I was still groggy and tired. And I didn't really enjoy it. I felt it was more of... It felt very much like a rebellion to me. See, when you look at it, there was no title changes. Yes, there was a great match, and we'll, we'll talk about that great match later on. But it was meant to be the moment that Drew was crowned. Like It, it was building to what it was obvious it was building to this. And then the change in direction of management led to Roman retaining deflated the crowd a bit, the ending with Tyson Fury, so I'm not I'm going to take Clash of the Castle out of the running here, so it's between Wrestlemania and SummerSlam I I don't think I could vote against a a pay-per-view that had the return of Stone Cold Steve Austin on it, so I'm going to use the, I'm going to tie break and I am going to go with Wrestlemania so Wrestlemania is our pay-per-view of the year via tiebreaker. SummerSlam, very, very close. I, I Again, I, the only thing that beats a tractor is Stone Cold Steve Austin, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and Fair enough, yeah. It, it has been a topsy-turvy year in WWE. The fact that Stone Cold has not got a mention on this just shows you how mental this year has been. So I'm going to give him some love. WrestleMania, pay-per-view of the year. Um, yeah, I think. Any arguments with that? No, not really. I mean, you had Pat getting hit by Spencer Man in the groin with a football, you know. So like, yeah. it's that old argument. You know, SummerSlam had a tractor, but football in the groin had a football in the groin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Cody returning as well to WWE. That was, uh, and that was both. Both those moments happened on night one. Him and Austin competing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
so I mean, night one of WrestleMania alone is enough to sort of put it up there, and then WrestleMania night two just sort of just tied it, tied everything up, you know, sort of like a season finale type thing. Although I would have preferred to see Roman Brock Last Man Standing as the WrestleMania main event. So I mean, if I could change that, then WrestleMania would have probably been my guaranteed uh, pay per view of the year. I think if you put that SummerSlam match at WrestleMania. you could make an argument for that being the best WrestleMania of all time. I I think that's very much a case. Um, I sound as if I'm a pure spoiled brat, as if I wasn't at Clash of the Castle, so it was rubbish. Like, (laughs) David was there, he didn't vote it, so that's my only saving grace here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Clash of the Castle's definitely up there, and out of those three, I definitely would have agreed with you on that. And just being there live is just a a whole different atmosphere just from watching it on TV. I mean, I said it was like Rebellion, but I mean, at least Rebellion had Bill Buchanan. Anyway, moving <laughs> on, uh, there will be no tiebreaker needed here. Pardon me. Worst pay-per-view of the year. Well, second place, Elimination Chamber in Saudi Arabia, 16.67% of the vote. But... I don't remember Elimination Chamber being that bad. I mean, Austin Theory got thrown off a fucking pod. For Christ's sake, what more do you want? I think it was just, it was very predictable. predictable. The women's one was good, but again, we all knew we were leading to Bianca versus um, Becky. And for Brock Lesnar to win back the title two weeks after he had lost the title, it just very much made Bobby Lashley feel like an afterthought. I'm just looking at the rest of the card here. Um, yeah, Lashley got taken out the chamber as well before we're even competing. Like, uh, out with the the rule about the injury angle. And, I mean, sure, the, the only good spot in that match was Lesnar F5ing Theory off the top of the pods. But everybody else was everybody else was the afterthought because Lesnar just plowed through all of them. Elimination Chamber, um, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's bad. I'll read you out the card here, Scott. You said you can't remember. Uh, Rey Mysterio versus Miz on the pre-show, which led to Miz, Logan Paul versus the Mysterios at WrestleMania. Uh, Roman Reigns defeats Goldberg by submission in six minutes. Uh, That god-awful Naomi and uh, Sonya Deville feud came to an end as Naomi teamed with Ronda Rousey dressed in a gi to defeat Charlotte Flair and Sonya Deville. That was also the start of the never-ending Rousey-Charlotte Flair feud. Uh, Bianca Belair defeats Alexa Bliss, Doudrop, Liv Morgan, Nikki A.S.H. and Rhea Ripley in the Elimination Chamber. That was a good match. Drew McIntyre defeats Madcap Moss. Oh gosh, yeah, he did that. Oh, yeah, he did that crazy Alabama slam spot, and he, Madcap really broke his neck. No, that was uh, I think that was day one. That was all oh, right. This this was just a rant, but a, a false count anywhere match that lasted nine minutes. Um, oh yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, Becky versus Lita. That was quite good. Uh, the elimination. I mean, here's where you go wrong. The two elimination chambers. One lasted 15 minutes 45. One lasted 14 minutes 55. Like, come on. I mean, like, and the first, the first one ever lasted like 40 to 45 minutes. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just looking at the elimination times here. A uh, Brock Lesnar eliminates every. Sorry. So Lashley unable to compete. Then uh, 9 minutes 50, Seth Rollins eliminated. 10 minutes 5, Matt Riddle eliminated. 11 minutes, AJ Styles eliminated. So then we got to Austin Theory v Brock Lesnar. And I think 
with Rollins being established, AJ Styles being established, and Riddle also being a UFC guy, I think you put any of them in the final two with Lesnar, and there is a bit of, but what if? I think with Austin Theory at the time, it was very much a, no, he's not going to do it. And the, him being thrown off the pod was quite funny, but it was three and a half minutes of cat and mouse. Like, it was a Tom and Jerry cartoon for the last three minutes. <laughs> I mean, I remember the Goldberg match, you know, Goldberg matches aren't really known for their quality. But then again, Goldberg didn't win and has been seen since, so five out of five for me. Uh, <laughs> I think really the downturn of this show is it's one of the first series shows not to have Mansoir, as he's never known on it, so clearly that was what was missing from this show. Yeah, uh, so let's talk about the worst pay-per-view of the year. With 50% of the vote, it's the Royal Rumble pay-per-view. And mm-hmm. David, I think the most disappointing thing about a Royal Rumble pay-per-view being bad is that it's meant to be the kickoff to the biggest, like, the biggest season for wrestling, like, it kicks off the road to WrestleMania. And when it's bad, it then dampens interest for WrestleMania, which is months away. You know, um, we we were talking, me and Chris Anthony Lopez, on the, I believe it was the pre-Royal uh, pre Rumble show that we did for Central, about how Bobby Lashley was WWE, sorry, Bobby Lashley won the title, it was a post-show, Jesus Christ, get yourself together, Ross. <laughs> when Bobby Lashley won the WWE title, we were saying, right, it's clear Roman Brock's a universal title, but there was no plans at that point for the WWE Championship. It eventually was put into the main event, but we were just like, this is horrendous. They have put all their eggs in the Ronda Rousey returns basket. They've put all their eggs in Brock Lesnar Roman Reigns, and people that brought Lesnar and Ronda Rousey really don't need to be winning Royal Rumbles. Nah, it's, it was the year of the UFC competitors by that point. And, you know, Ronda had been away for best part of three years as well because she had that nasty hand injury like where she nearly lost a finger and then she was off on maternity leave. There were rumours that Ronda was going to make a return. So... It wasn't a huge shock to see her return, but it, at the same time, you did have a bit of a surprising reaction when you heard Bad Reputation getting played and then you realise, oh wait, yeah, it's probably going to be Ronda Charlotte at the at WrestleMania. Same with Brock, Roman, but that wasn't the only disappointment from the men's Royal Rumble perspective. It was the fact that I think this got quite a lot of negative publicity because it Shane McMahon had a role in producing the match and he basically inserted himself in at number 28, I believe it was, and he made it to the final three, which in 2022, when you've got a 50-plus-year-old Shane McMahon who's basically essentially a special attraction slash non-wrestler in the final three with Brock Lesnar and Drew McIntyre, two very credible former world champions, it just dampens the whole aura of the Royal Rumble a little bit because it's supposed to be the best of the best trying each of them clawing for that chance to main event and not even the the Randy Orton pop in St. Louis was enough to to save it because he got eliminated rather quickly especially when I think you know there were rumors that Big E might be in with a shot of winning the Rumble 
but he was he was just an afterthought in the match again. It was it was essentially hijacked by poor management from Shane McMahon. He left WWE after that, and when Brock lost the WWE title, you knew he had to have a he was probably going to be one of the last two entrants or something, and he would win. Scott, um, Dave mentioned Big E. People thought he'd be a favourite. He was eliminated after six and a half minutes by Riddle and Randy Orton with zero eliminations to his name. Brock Lesnar, much like the Elimination Chamber, in two minutes and 32 seconds, eliminated five people and won the match. Yeah, it's weird because it didn't feel like there was any storyline, particularly in the men's one, like that we'd seen on TV being continued all that much, other than the, the stuff with Brock and Roman when Brock comes in to like eliminate everybody. And like Bad Bunny is like the fifth last person being eliminated, which is another thing. This is a weird rumble. This was the first time Kofi messed up his rumble uh, spot, and like you really felt bad for him at the time. The women's one I remember being slightly better, but still not that good. I mean, you had Melina come out at number two and get immediately eliminated like before the third person came out. Like, what's the point in bringing someone like Melina back if you're just gonna just throw her out? Mm. The best thing about the women's rumble, I think, was Mickey James showing up, and we also we knew that ahead of time. I remember mm. us all arguing over Allen's like they won't like I think people like Jack were like they won't let her come out to her impact music, or they won't let her have her belt. Like, no, they did all those things. Yep, yeah, she had the impact banner as well. Yep, and she was credited as impact champion. Yep, yeah, whatever they call it, um, impact women's champion. They they, they, they went, the one thing they weren't willing to do was use the word knockout for some reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> and some of the returns in the women's rumble were quite, quite surprising. Given that you know Ivory and her um, right uh, censor, yeah, yeah, right to censor retire. Then you had uh, Cameron of the Funkadactyls come out as well to assist Naomi in the oh, song. How is that not winning? How is that not winning? Shocking moment of the year. <laughs> a Funkadactyl. Um, Sarah Logan re- reunited with Liv as well. I uh, I listened to the former Nia Jax, her uh, sessions interview with uh, Renee Paquette. And they were talking about the Royal Rumble, about how they weren't happy that all the women had basically been revealed weeks in advance. And she had mentioned she had been asked. So they phoned her and... (coughs) Excuse me. They phoned her and said, would you like to be in the Women's Royal Rumble? And she originally said yes. And she said, so when do I fly out and where do I fly out to? Do you want me, you know, do I get picked up to keep the surprise? And then they told her, no, you're not in the Rumble yet. We need a list of people to take to Vince. And then Vince will decide what free agents he would like in. So essentially it was, will you be open if we phone you? So she basically said no. So I think that's kind of a, a slap in the face to the people who ended up being in the match because you look at Melina, 53 seconds, Kelly Kelly, a minute and five seconds, uh, Cameron, 51 seconds, uh, Summer Rae, 52 seconds, Sarah Logan, 42 seconds, uh, Molly Holly, 20 seconds, uh, and Ivory, 25 seconds. I think I mean, the, the Ivory one was pretty cool. I think she was like kind of throwing everybody got eliminated with the mic still in her hand and then continue talking. <laughs> I think as well, though, like, what what makes this all the worse is, like, these are people who 
Vince wanted. How how badly would the people he didn't want be booked? Like, mm. it, just a really poor run. I'm just going to read the card out here, guys. Uh, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns was a really good match, I thought. Uh, Seth coming out to the Shield. It was a bit of... Uh, the ending of this match was sort of a a sign of things to come because the match was really good. The Shield entrance for Seth was really good. And then Roman loses by disqualification and it goes nowhere. Seth hasn't had a title match with Roman since. Uh, we then had the Royal Rumble where Ronda Rousey eliminates Charlotte Flair. Uh, Becky Lynch defeated Dewdrop. The crowd were more interested that there was a sign on fire. Um, yes, it caught fire because of the pyro from the mm-hmm. Rumble, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, Bobby Lashley versus Brock Lesnar. Now, this was a match we were cl- clamouring for for ages and it ended up just being an overbooked clusterfuck. <laughs> uh, Edge and Beth Phoenix versus The Miz and Maurice. Actually, not a bad match. It, but when you're watching the Royal Rumble and you're watching Money in the Bank and you're watching War Games, you want to see the title match. You know what I mean? You, you This this would have been a great match for Saudi Arabia, but it's not a great match here. And then, obviously, we mentioned the absolute clusterfuck of the Royal Rumble. Brock Lesnar beats... Uh, eliminates Drew McIntyre. I mean, you had AJ Styles getting eliminated by Madcap Moss. Rick Boogs had quite a substantial part of this match. Nakamura, who he's meant to be the manager for, was eliminated in five minutes. Uh, Robert Roode eliminated in 54 seconds. I'm just seeing what else here. Uh, Shane McMahon, as we mentioned, getting to the final two. The arguments... Uh, between Randy Orton and Shane McMahon backstage, uh, <laughs> Kofi fucking up his uh, thing for the first time ever. It's not his fault. It just it seemed to be one of those nights where everything that could go wrong did go wrong, and unfortunately, Kofi Kingston caught that curse. And <laughs> yeah, that three times. I know. <laughs> and so, are we hoping for a much better Royal Rumble this year? I certainly I hope mean, so. I mean, the bar has been set incredibly low. Yeah, it couldn't get much fucking muscular. <laughs> mm. When we look at the big about worst one, I, like, I thought about a lot of the, like, the B papers of WWE, and even when Vince was around, we had quite a few that didn't have the greatest car on paper, but managed to pull at least one or two like solid matches. But mm-hmm. I think the only one I could think of that I really had, I really had stuff I hated on it, I remember not even liking it at the time, was the Rumble. Because, yes, mm-hmm. if stuff like ended by DQ, and that was yeah, shy, like considering you had the great entrance and the story going into it, but that's the highlight of the fucking show. Everything after that is downhill. You mentioned the mixed tag. I didn't care about that going into the show. But like 3 a.m. when I'm tired and I've got a rumble match to go, I'm sitting here. Every second of this match feels like a fucking eternity. Oh my God, just end. Yeah, it was it was not a great show. Uh, and certainly uh, not one I'll be watching back in a hurry, certainly. Um, but anyway... From a absolute landslide with 50% for worst pay-per-view of the year comes the most shocking moment, and that is an absolute landslide. Um, I'm actually surprised this didn't have more. Uh, but before we talk about it, I think you all know what it's going to be. Um, let's talk about some of the other stuff here. Uh, David, Cody Rhodes, AEW founder, the guy who ran all, all in, leaving AEW and going back to WWE. Yeah, I mean, I remember watching 
WrestleMania the, the day night one, the day after it aired, and I was literally on the edge of my seat waiting for anticipation. Like, are the rumors true? Is the uh, is the American Nightmare jumping ship from AEW back to WWE? And as soon as the pyro went off, I think, okay, possibly, possibly. But what made it even more amazing is that they essentially bought the rights to the American Nightmare gimmick. You know, he kept all the the design, the logos, the the nickname, and even the the theme song from Downstate uh, Kingdom. Which, I mean, if you're going to invest in like the reinvention of a character from who was built in a different promotion, just take it all because people know take who he is. Take it all away. Take it all away. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, because I know you weren't a fan of him in AEW. You know, he's like, oh, the, like almost his, almost his like his Hulk Hogan style of booking. You know, the the great American patriot defeating any not evil heels or evil foreigners type thing. Uh, coming out dressed as what Homelander was it? Oh, for God's sake! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he still has the Homelander jacket as well. Which it, I mean, if he didn't say it was Homelander, I probably wouldn't have guessed, but. Yeah, his return alone, you know, it's on commentary, you know, people were describing it as surreal. And I think everybody just jumped on the Cody train as soon as he jumped ship as well. And he's he certainly made waves with the with the audience and within the company alone. Not alone, not to mention like he's also pretty much gone through their entire pyrotechnics budget at the same time. But <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it was a really, really surreal moment, and I'm pretty sure I've watched it over at least a dozen times, and it never gets old. Yeah, uh, Scott Cody going back to WWE isn't the only a uh, only nomination that he has on this list. Uh, he's also on the list for his injury at Hell in a Cell and fighting through it. Yeah, I think the best thing I ever I can't remember who it was that said it, but. There was people, someone remixed these themes on saying adrenaline in my soul tore my peg right off the bone. <laughs> uh, I would say, like, you know, you're not being a fan of Cody and AEW. Like, I think I preferred Cody in like three months of WWE than three years of AEW. Yeah. I think his big downfall on AEW was like he's taking himself out of the world title picture, so it doesn't look like he's booking himself to you know, be in the main event scene. And then was like Ron Burgundy, I immediately regret this decision. <laughs> and like the Homelander stuff was weird as well because like anybody who's actually watched the boys will tell you Homelander's not the good guy, and like, Cody's man is going to give the ultimate kind of baby face. So yeah, I think it was a case of you know, he just talked about how much he does actually admire Triple H, even though they kind of were at odds before he left in 2016. So also I think a lot of people were making comparisons like when Triple H fought through his quad tear in 2001. This one, and you know, uh, I think there are a few people you can have be in there when you're injured better than like Seth Rollins to like help you through it. Even though he Seth had like had a, even though Seth had a reputation unfairly for being like unsafe because the stuff that happened with Sting and Cena, but I think Seth did his best. And if anything, I don't think this match would have been nearly as good if Cody wasn't injured. Yeah, I think the fact that he. You can see how much pain he is and, and how how much he's fighting through it. Cody Rhodes actually has 20% of the vote on his own 
over two over two categories. Um, some of the other things people have talked about, we talk about returns, uh, Bailey and Bray Wyatt each getting one vote each. Um, the Bray Wyatt one was interesting, Dave, because it was it was all done at live events. It was all done off camera. It was mm. Triple H realising the potential that WWE has with an online presence and creating buzz through the internet as opposed to promos on TV. Yeah, the White Rabbit stints were very well executed because it actually had people guessing. You know, some people thought it was Cross at one mm-hmm. point because uh, I think one of his theme songs used to be called White Rabbit and even played the White Rabbit theme song like during commercial breaks or at live events, as you said. Uh, but I think when everybody started to catch on, I think it could be Bray Wyatt. That's when people thought, okay, it's most likely to be him. But there was still that seed of doubt that it could be other people. So the execution of it was very, very well done. And then when the big reveal did happen uh, on Extreme Rules, which is meant to be a B pay-per-view as well, it, I mean, it's it's the most talked about moment of, it's one of the most talked about moments of that year. And the arrival of, you know, the, the Wyatt Six, where the characters are all dressed up as the the puppet pals the fiend's Mm. mask appears on the announce table and then he basically arrives for this whole this brand new gimmick you know arriving through the door and he has uncle howdy as well as a new character it's the man consistently is able to reinvent himself although he's only ever had one match since coming back and that was on the madison square garden live event against jinder mahal so we've yet to see him like him and like la knight have that big blow-off feud match, which we sh- might get at the Royal Rumble. But I think we'll get the Rumble. Yeah, but remains to be seen. But I think this is a slow-burning, long-term storytelling with Bray Wyatt's sort of redemption arc a little bit. So, but the return itself, you know, the pop alone basically summarised how much the fans still care for him and still think about him. Yeah, I agree. Scott, you and I watched uh, SummerSlam live. I was awake for the pre-show. I then immediately fell asleep during Bianca Belair and uh, Becky Lynch, despite your best interest to wake me. What woke me up was the absolute shock of hearing Bailey's theme song. That kind of got. That, that was the only reason I saw the rest of that pay-per-view. <laughs> the amazing return for Bailey. And then the Damage Control stable coming together with Dakota Kai and the renamed EO Sky returning as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, it was one thing hearing Bailey come back because I think it had been uh, rumoured that she was going to come back because it was just passing a year at that point that she'd been out. And then hearing Dakota Kai, it was, like, it was one of the ones like, I had heard it, but like, I recognised it, but I didn't know who it is. And then literally... I turned to you, I think, when I seen this, I'm like, did she not get sacked? Because like, yeah. so many people got let go in the last couple of years. I forgot whether or not she had been let go. <laughs> and then Eosky comes out, and I'm like wondering after her, like, is there any more? Is there going to be? I thought this was going to be this procession of just NXT people just to live for you. In case you didn't know, Triple H is in charge now. And Triple H would like to introduce you to the new Raw Women's Division. <laughs> We have to go across to AEW for this one. This is one 
We ironically, at time of filming, it's the 29th of December. Uh, Dax Hardwood is going to release his podcast, his first ever podcast with CM Punk, going into the all-out presser in more details. We really have only heard one side of it so far. People coming out and saying that the internal investigation was very much to get Punk out and keep the elite in a job. Whether you believe that or not, Punk's tirade is on <laughs> something special. Um, this is a guy who's waited seven years to come back to wrestling. And 12 months later, he was pissing it all away. He was he was just taking shots at everyone. Tony Khan, who we, we have talked on this podcast, guys, about how we think Tony Khan's maybe a bit too involved with the wrestlers, a bit too pally-pally. He shouldn't be sitting next to people in press conferences. You know, Triple H's photo with people winning titles is one thing. Hugging them and saying, oh, I love this guy is a, a, another thing. He looks so uncomfortable. Punk is in between bites of muffins. Shout out to that bakery, by the way. Is it Mama's Little Bakery, Chicago, Illinois? Mm-hmm. Where Chandler, Chandler and Rachel got the cheesecake. Um, <laughs> yeah, shout out to that bakery. They made a fortune after that. Um, but yeah. Their Google reviews got flooded with people making references to this. Like saying, like, I, I pay for my, my, ba- my baked goods here with the bank account I share with my mother. <laughs> Poor, that's going to be some old woman who just wants to start a local bakery and is being flooded. But yeah, it was it was a weird, weird time in AEW. Punk lost the title on the Wednesday, won it back on the Saturday or the Sunday, and then was out of a job on the Monday. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Because uh, I remember I didn't watch All Out till like the next day. And so... I'm like midway through watching it. I think I was doing the sweep for that. And then I'm just seeing all these people sharing stuff like, oh, you hear what CM Punk said in the, the media stream? I'm like, I waited until I finished watching it because I was like, like, this is Punk going off. Here. So I'm sure there'll be some good stuff here. And then I was just like, David, like, Jesus Christ, because like, this is like full battle, like double battle, pure hatred from Punk coming out here. And I've listened to some of this Dex's podcast so far and he's not got to the all out bit from where I've been listening to. But I think it's just his experience basically is a case of like, well, you know, people who are nice to me, I'm nice to them, and I don't have shit bad shit to say about them. So I think it's a case of Punk was nice to him, so he's been nice about CM Punk, where I think Punk is similar in that case of if you do something to piss him off, even when you don't realise it, in the case of Hangman Page, then he will, will shit all over you. And it's really like, because I think there was a clip going around of like him from the All Out Press Conference from the year before saying like, People are wondering where angry, you know, CM Punk is, but I don't have anything to be angry about. Cut to, and then spliced in is him then calling Hangman Page and a dumb fuck. <laughs> and something you don't, a lot of people didn't really pick up on that. I've heard other people saying, which I agree with, is that he said that Hangman Page hadn't done anything in this business. Like, isn't he the guy who you won the AEW title off of? You're saying that winning the AEW title, a title you're saying next to you while you're cutting this rant, is not doing anything in wrestling. Yeah, uh, certainly, certainly one for the ages, and I think that's uh, a podcast you could, should all go listen to after you've listened to this. A um, <laughs> couple of other ones just before we get into the main one: uh, Jobber beats Jericho, and Mandy Rose fired. We touched on that a bit earlier on. 
Uh, David, a shame that such a a great title reign came to such a a, a damp squib of an ending, but just because of some raunchy picks behind a paywall. Yeah, but if if there is a clause in your contract, you know these are the standards we expect. Mm. It, it seemed to be she was pushing the envelope more and more, and WWE were just like, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she had been warned. She didn't heed those warnings. Hey, she's not going to lose. She's not going to go hungry. Certainly, from the money. Oh, no, no. This now, uh, apparently, she made more than Drew McIntyre's yearly salary in a week of being released. Crazy. So she, she's certainly completely fine. She has her business that she runs with Sonya Deville as well. I but, demand these donuts. Yeah. I do think it was quite ironic that it was Shawn Michaels, the man who posed for a, a magazine he thought was read by one, but mostly by gay men. A fo- he posed with a fo- picture of the WWE title over in his genitals. He was the one making the decision about somebody's job based on based on inappropriate photos. Oh, how you've changed since you found Jesus, haven't you, Sean? Yep. <laughs> found Jesus and his eye found his nose. <laughs> anyway, living away from eyes, um, a lot of people have sent this in different wording, but basically boils down to the same thing. It is the only time we have ever done a central dedicated to one show, uh, one news item, and that was Vince McMahon finally stepping down from the, uh, from the WWE uh, chairman position and CEO. He... News had broke a few weeks before about uh, settlements that had been discovered. Uh, Vince McMahon had paid with his own money. Um, immoral, but not illegal. I think, you know, if we, if we start getting into the grey areas here, we'll be here all night. But immoral behaviour, and ironically, people have said for years that Vince never have taken WWE public because it watered down the product. And it was taking them public and this stuff being found out that ended up with Vince being ousted because the board decided they had no uh, no confidence in him. He weirdly kept showing up on WWE TV for no reason. Um, and then he was gone, and we've talked about the positive change that has came with Vince McMahon being gone. It's not that Vince McMahon didn't have any good ideas left. It was the fact that Vince McMahon was a man in his 70s trying to stay current and refusing to move with the times and certain ideas. Nick Khan and Stephanie McMahon are running the day-to-day operations and Triple H is taking on the creative control with looks like William Regal coming in as his vice president. A shocking moment I don't think we'd ever seen. Sorry, I don't think we thought we'd ever see David I think JR was very vocal. He always said, Vince McMahon will only leave WWE if he dies. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth there. I thought Vince was going to be there till till his dying breath. And, you know, seeing some of the stuff he pulled off, you know, when he's like mid-70s, etc., you know, jumping from the, the presenter's podium at WrestleMania 20 in the Performance Center... Like, I still see that clip. Uh, him still getting in the ring at, what, 77 years old, still looking jacked uh, at the same time. You could tell, I think, his on-screen persona was definitely um, withering away a little bit, but I think I just sort of put that down to, to old age, I reckon. But 
I think the hush money payments were the final nail in the coffin for him. Like, if there wasn't that scandal going on, I reckon he would have stuck around maybe a bit longer, despite, you know, the criticism of being out of touch and only doing what Vince wants for his product. I mean, we've said this before, it's his company at the end of the day. He will always get the final say on where things go. But, yeah, the hush money payments definitely definitely sped it up, shall we say. And But in a way, I suppose it was kind of a blessing in disguise. You know, it's like, I don't think, I mean, I myself, I would have seen no shame in Vince calling it quits there and now. Like, because you'll, you will not see me work past the age of 65, probably, <laughs> let alone 77. So fair play to him just for sticking out for that long. Uh, but at the same time, it's helped usher in a new era that so many people have been clamoring for, especially when Vince is probably one of the most stubborn people you've ever seen on on TV. Not not just like Mr. McMahon, the character, but Vince McMahon himself. It's It really, really was a, a big surprise to see him finally call it quits. Scott, um, obviously clamouring for a change, you'll take it any way it comes. Did you ever think you'd see this day where Vince retired? Because, to be honest, I think WWE was heading for big trouble if he was still in charge. It, they were kind of plodding along. Um, the storyline quality was dropping dramatically. AEW was putting on some really good stuff during the summer. And ironically enough, round about his departure was when the CM Punk All Out scrum happened. And AEW's downturn, along with new management in WWE, have led to WWE sort of becoming the, the promotion to watch again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know it was weird. Like the AEW, like there's quite a lot of scandals coming out about them, like not in the same vein as like Vince, but like people not getting along backstage or like stuff with like locker room fights. Plus, plus an increase in like quality for the WWE product. I think it did kind of swing things a little bit, even though the AEW just still has its fans. Like there were still a few times where like it looked like AEW were still taking shots at WWE, but like. When the quality, when the program in WWE is bad, then you you kind of just ignore it or you laugh along with it. But like when WWE is good, and you're like, oh, actually that's a bit harsh, yeah. And like, yeah, I don't think I'd, I don't think I'd ever hear like the that uh, Stephanie and like Triple H were now in position to run WWE without he- hearing that being fall without it falling the phrase Vince McMahon has sadly passed away because I don't think <laughs> anyone thought you'd like you'd step down like while he was still alive. And like even when the, the initial like scandal of him having to temporarily step away, Stephanie coming in, what seemed like temporarily, it did seem like a case of like, no, Vince has come back from worse than this. Like he's the man who beat the federal government in '94 somehow, and then it came like, oh no, he this is actually, I think it's led to a lot of like intrigue and in seeing what WWE's like becoming under Triple H. I think the Rumble and Mania, like leading up to Mania season, is what. Has got a lot of people interested because, like, this is the first proper build to a WrestleMania that doesn't have Vince's fingerprints all over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a it is a weird one. And if you want to listen back to our uh, 
to our special Vince McMahon Central. Uh, you can find it on eSleep, Supplementary Tweet, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, and Android. Right, guys, we have two tiebreakers. So I'm going to go through because the best non AEW and WWE moment, no one thing received more than 12.5% of the vote. Uh, that was a tie between three things. Everything else received one vote each. So I'm just going to go through some of our best non-AEW WWE moments picked by some of our uh, listeners and contributors. Uh, Osprey versus Oku at RevPro. Uh, Progress goes to Dubai. Uh, Jason Reed eliminates Chris Bungard at the ICW Square Go. Mickey James's last rodeo uh, program in Impact Wrestling. Josh Alexander winning the Impact World Title at Rebellion. The return of Ring of Honor. The US of J Tour from Jay White. Honor No More versus Impact. The Fear and Loathing ICW Fatal 4-Way main event with Leighton Buzzard finally winning the world title. Eric Young's storyline and eventually leaving Impact. And the three tied uh, votes for first place. The Gorillas of Destiny ousted from Bullet Club. Uh, Shibata returns to the ring. And Slammiversary, the 20-year celebration of Impact Wrestling. Uh, Scott, you host East Meets West. Um, mm-hmm. The G.O.D. being ousted from Bullet Club and Shibata returning. Um, give us a wee bit of info into that. Why are those big stories? Well, the the Girls of Destiny thing is, oh, that's the team of Tama Tonga and Tango, the sons of Haku. And Tama was like one of the founding members of Bullet Club. It started with four people, him, Carl Anderson, Bad Luck Valley, who's still in the group. So he's, he's still in the group. And uh, Finn Balor then was Prince Devitt. So he's pretty much been there since the beginning. And uh, once the Good Brothers went to WWE in 2016, he and Tagaloa yeah, took over the main heavyweight tag team in, in New Japan. Like They're like seven-time IWGP tag team champions, which is like a record... Originally, it was like six, but they beat it like sometime last year. And then, like, I think a group that sold Jersey linked with Bullet Club being like kicked out, and then in favor of like, the Good Brothers, who kind of left and were kind of clinging on to the time. Like, hey, remember we, we were in Bullet Club? And now they're actually continuing that because at Wrestle Kingdom, it is going to be Carl Anderson versus uh, Tamatonga. More about that on East Meets West, Wrestle Kingdom, Pedro Cullingson. Uh, <laughs> the Katsuya Shibata thing was uh, a lot crazier because this guy looked like he would never wrestle again. Like, it's not, you know, like we've seen, like, Daniel Bryan and, like, Edge come out of injuries, but, like, Katsuya Shibata, like, suffered, a, like, a brain injury during a wrestling match in 2017 against Okada. Like, I think, he, I think it was, like, a subdural hematoma after a really hard head, but, and, like, it's a case of, like, don't, re- like, you can never wrestle, like, again, and he went on to be a trainer in their LA dojo. And like he came out randomly at the 2021, I think it was, G1. Randomly during the show, uh, out came Zach Stewart Jr. for what they were calling a five-minute exhibition technical like showcase. Like, oh, who's the opponent? And then Shabbat came out and everyone lost their fucking minds about that. And then <laughs> he's had like two matches, I think, since. He had a match against his trainee, uh, Renoui at uh, Wrestle Kingdom, which was meant to be like only a t- catch wrestling rules only to protect Shibata, who then went off script at the start match, grabbed the microphone and said, like, now nah, screw that, we're having a real wrestling match. And then 
he showed up at uh, an AW a couple of times, and he lost to the man who <laughs> he lost to Orange Cassidy, which me and Grant were not happy about. Because <laughs> like our logic on AEW's West was like if Shibata won that at all anti belt and took it to Japan with him, would anyone who watches AEW on a weekly basis notice that the belt wasn't there? No, I don't think we do. <laughs> too many belts. Mm-hmm. Way too yeah. many. <laughs> yeah, too many belts. Like, I think there was a funny post about Shavata coming back to have the match with Orange Cassidy because like, it was maybe like it was one of like Orange Cassidy's dream matches. So he won a match retaining his tail and said, oh, the winner of this match gets to defend the belt on Rampage against their dream opponent. I chose Shabata. And it's like, Shabata, I'm a no-nonsense All right, badass wrestler who came back from a career-ending injury. Also, Shabata, it is my dream to wrestle the the glasses man who puts his hands in his pockets. <laughs> uh, David, another one that got 12.5% of the vote. Slammiversary this past year celebrating 20 years of Impact Wrestling. Mm. The past two and a bit years of Impact Wrestling, minus the current Billy Ray storyline, they haven't really put a foot wrong. Uh, they've got a really solid foundation under uh, the likes of Scott Demore. Uh, they have a smaller roster using some guest wrestlers and it seems that everyone always has a storyline and for a company that looked every week they were going to go out of business under Dixie Carter this 20 year uh, celebration really meant a lot to a lot of wrestlers and wrestling fans Mm -hmm. yeah especially for a company that's gone through so many reincarnations and different names different management obviously everybody you know and I'm pretty sure we discussed this on a past episode of Central. Like we dedicated a good bit of time to it because, and we said, despite the the ups and downs that TNA Impact Wrestling, whatever it was been called, has been through over the years, it always stuck around and it always persevered in some capacity. Sure, its audiences shrunk a little bit, the roster is a little bit smaller. I don't think it has that much global outreach compared to the the two big promotions like in terms of completely independent promotions it feels like the um the nxt promotion right now it's it doesn't reach that big of an audience but if you actually took the time to watch it on a regular basis it is actually very very good stuff particularly um the booking of its knockouts division you know that i think that's always been a consistent factor you know with the likes of Gail Kim, Mickey James, Awesome Kong, sort of setting the laying the groundwork for it, and then it's been picked up by the likes of Chelsea Green, Jordan Grace, uh, Tasha Steeles, uh, most Perazzo. notably as well, Diona Perazzo, who's been running rampant and completely reinvented herself as a result. So the twentieth anniversary, I think, is just a culmination of all of Impact Wrestling's ups and downs. I think there was even a few cameos from like past superstars like AJ Styles I think was allowed to make a little video tribute um, yeah so it's acknowledging you know where it came from and all all it went through it's it really was truly quite a, a memorable event you know acknowledging the past but still building towards a new future right so let's vote a slammiversary G.O.D. ousted from Bullet Club or Shibata returns. What are we going for, Scott? I think I need to go... I mean, as much as I hate to go against Impact, one of the promotions I watch a lot, uh, I need to go with the Shibata one because I think 
the more I think I gave you a, a bridge version, but when you read more about what he went through and the injury he suffered, I think it's one of the most miraculous like comebacks that he's even wrestled at all this year. Okay, uh, David, what about you? Uh, partly because my New Japan knowledge isn't great, I'm actually going to go with Slammiversary on this. But for all the reasons I mentioned, I think Slammiversary certainly, certainly overdelivered. Yeah, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm going to go Slammiversary. I'm I'm going to be the tiebreaker here. I'll go Slammiversary and Shibata returning a big deal for New Japan viewers and. It's great to see him coming in AEW, but Impact's more known in the Western Hemisphere, and the fact that it's stuck about for 20 years is a testament to the likes of Scott Demore, who's currently running it now, that it it keeps that it, it keeps going consistently well. We just me and Scott just hope that a hard to kill Billy Ray loses and fucks off. Um, right. <laughs> um, best non AW wrestler. Um, I voted for Jay White on this one. He received a good wee bit of the vote, but he wasn't one of the two that tied. Other names that were mentioned uh, Okada, Mike Bailey, Grisham, Thatcher Wright, Joe Hendry, Macardona. Aussie Open, Jack Morris and Vikingo. But with 21.5% of the vote, Will Ospreay and Josh Alexander are tied 21.5% of the vote each. Scott, who would you pick as your non-AWWE wrestler of the year? Oh. It's like... You're a viewer of both New Japan and Impact here. Yeah, I know. These last two tiebreakers have been a pain in the arse for me. Because uh, I was literally like, Osprey was a distant third, but for me it was actually between Jay White and Josh Alexander. I think like Jay and Osprey are everybody else in Japan. Where there are quite a few people in Japan who have consistently great matches, but exclusively do it in Japan. Where Jay and and Will this year have been going like all over the world to have these kinds of matches, and like like Osprey this year has now I think got the more more five star matches I think than anybody at the minute because he's been wrestling like so many different places and like even some of his other matches like majority of his other matches are at least four stars or above right now he's wrestling at such a high level but I'm leaning towards Josh Alexander who I voted for because while he, a lot of his work is an impact like he's somebody who is re- putting on these kind of stellar like match of the year candidates on almost weekly basis you know it started when he was ex-division champion it's continued throughout his world title reign you know, he's, he's wrestled Impact regulars like Eddie Edwards, uh, Moose, Moose, Eric Young. Even the matches he had, like when Ishii came in, or he wrestled Alex Shelley. He had a match recently with Mike Bailey, which was everyone's been raving about, which I recommend you go watch. And like the biggest takeaway from that, everyone was like, why the hell did you give us this on free TV? And like most recently, in terms of pay Impact Plus, especially had that match with Kazarian. So, you know, I've got a little bit of faith in the Billy Ray stuff because, like, Josh Alexander, in my opinion, is someone who can't have a bad match. And so that's why I'm going with Josh. Uh, what about you, David? Osprey or Alexander? Oh, this one's easy. Josh Alexander. I mean, every every time we talk about Impact on Central, we always mention, you know, how well Josh Alexander's been doing, particularly, you know, when he won the title at um, Impact Rebellion. 
And he's just been consistently defending it against an array of challengers, everyone from Moose to uh, Eddie Edwards to Big Cass to, uh, oh, what's his face? The uh, Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, it, he's, he's really just um, defined himself as the guy in Impact now, especially, you know, when he was... He wasn't that well known a couple of years ago. He just sort of took the ball and and ran with it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. He is um, Scott. He's he's an advertisement for not going to AEW or WWE mm-hmm. and staying where you are because we saw what happened when Ethan Page went to AEW. He's had some success. He's not had a lot. Josh Alexander. You know, he had the X Division title run straight after his tag title run. He's had four consecutive successful title defences at Slammiversary. Uh, two tag titles, one X Division, one world title. So he's he's running rampant in Impact Wrestling. He's my pick as well. So Josh Alexander, non-AEW WWE Wrestler of the Year. Anyone got a problem with that? Nope. Not at all. Uh, there we are. Right, let's move on to something that doesn't need a <laughs> a tiebreaker here. It is our worst match of the year involving WWE or AEW. Uh, quite a lot of people voted the Men's Royal Rumble. We went into detail about that earlier on. Uh, Scott, one of the <laughs> one of the matches involving Ethan Page, ironically, Sammy Guevara take on to Kazarian versus Men of the Year. And Paige Van Zandt in a random six-man tag, which was awful. Yeah, that was the case of like the men of the year, and that were the heels, but they'd already started the turn for Sammy and Ty because the audience hated them so much. So it was Kaz and five heels, and we were watching this like very late on in the card that it should have been like this should have been on the pre-show for double one of them. We're watching like, who am I meant to like here? <laughs> the answer was no one. Um, <laughs> A match so bad it caused Kazarian to bugger off to impact for a while. Yeah. Uh, Vince McMahon v Pat McAvee, we spoke about that a wee bit earlier on. Yeah. A, a truly confusing, baffling and horrendous match and one of those things that shows maybe Vince should have stepped down. Mm, yeah. And I remember when Vince started taking his shirt off and I was like, I was sitting there watching. I was like, no, fuck off, fuck off, fuck off. Don't do this, fuck off. Don't do this, don't do this. <laughs> But one thing I do remember from that segment that I think actually was pretty funny was Austin Theory selling selling the stunner like a god. Like he, I swear he flew about ten feet in the air and then came all the way back down. It was magic. And then, as Scott, as we mentioned, football on the groin had a football on the groin. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, some of the nominations we had uh, the Men's Royal Rumble. Received a good bit of hate. Uh, Hobbs versus Starks. What uh, somebody voted that? Not fan. Uh, Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey got a couple of votes for their match at Extreme Rules. Uh, Omos versus Aziz. That was Jack Graham's entry. I think it's weird because we do these matches, and when something is as high profile as a pay per view match, you kind of vote it as the worst one there. You forget about all these bad matches. Someone's submission generally just said, 
probably something on dark. It's awful. <laughs> so <laughs> you forget about all these horrendous matches. Uh, Jade Cargill versus Nyla Rose from the most recent AEW pay-per-view. I agree, it was awful. Uh, but with 42.11% of the vote, Shotzi Blackheart versus Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's title at Survivor Series War Games. Dave, you and I, you, you're, you're a Shotzi fan. Um, mm, I think fans well, a bit of a stretch. <laughs> You don't mind Shotzi. Um, yeah, I, I don't mind Shotzi. Like, she was great in Black and Gold NXT. I just don't know if she's quite main roster material. No, I don't think she is. She's been wrestling for 11 years at this point. Mm. Uh, she's had all the training of NXT. We talked we, about how horrendous she was at Money in the Bank. The tank's this, great, though. The tank entrance is great. It's... We were joking. I was joking with someone about this earlier. Like, and it great until the bell rings, mm. and that kind of sums up Shotzi Blackheart. It's kind of like our truth when he first arrived when he returned to WWE in two thousand and eight. You know, it was all about the entrance for him making his way through the crowd, but he was always cannon fodder for like guys like Drew McIntyre who were just making waves in, yeah. in their debut. And Scott Ronda Rousey. This has been a return. We we mentioned the the six man tag, uh, six person tag. Sorry from AEW. Who am I supposed to like? It, it it's been one of those ones. Ronda Rousey started as an unlikable face and is now an unlikable heel, but not an unlikable as in, oh, we don't like you because you're heel. It's like we don't like you because you're boring. Gonna just go away. <laughs> I know it's just. She doesn't look like she wants to be there. A lot of people don't want her to be there. Like there are a couple of her matches this year. Honestly, I could have put as as a worst match. The main reason I put that voting for this is because you told me I had to be a WWE and AEW one because if I had my way, I'd be voting for Ric Flair and Andrade v Daily Thunder buddy Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> just just for, in terms of matches that like just shouldn't have happened at all. But I think this one, a recency, does have a lot to play with it. But it doesn't help that the match was fucking atrocious. Yeah, yeah, you had uh, you had that that DDT spot, which you know the fact that you know I think reason all these there were all these uh, like botches in the match. The case of like despite being having all this training in the PC, Shotzi isn't exactly like the most fluid in the ring, and Ronda Rousey still fairly new coming from MMA. So there's no neither of these two can really, really be trusted like carry a match. So, like, there's no one to lead, so just everything that could go wrong goes wrong. David, where do we go with Ronda Rousey? Is it sort of... <sighs> the, the, the the saying in football is that you can never go home, or you can never go back again. You can never return to where you were once good because it'll not work out that way again. Mm. It's not worked out that way for Ronda Rousey here. Mm. It's it's she's sort of just become the big name draw, essentially. You know, she's a name that gathers an audience regardless of how good or how bad she does in the ring. And I'm not entirely sure she's she feels like fully invested in being the champion or being a WWE superstar as she was compared to like four years ago when she first joined. 
it's because she has complained about how tough the schedule is etc and that's why she's getting the sort of Brock Lesnar treatment a little bit you know only only really showing up for pay-per-view matches nowadays and not a lot of passion inside the ring you know it's sort of just do the routine put on the arm bar and that's it job done because most of her earlier matches were practically squash matches and it wasn't until later on she actually had to put in like a 10 minute effort but what I find she struggles with is trying to find in-ring chemistry with specific opponents and the match with Shotzi was just oh it was it was a car crash from start to finish I think she tried that uh leaping over the rope to do a DDT spot in the apron and it it was a horrendous botch to watch and Shotzi herself didn't seem too confident as well working with Ronda either so it, it, it was just a big sloppy mess all things considered and I think I remember when I was watching this I was just desperate to see the end of this but I would have rather watched that than watch Vince Pat McAfee if I'm being honest but if that's uh, that's democracy I'm afraid if more people preferred Ronda Shotzi then I uh, can't really argue with that keep saying he had football in the groin anyway football in the groin yep <laughs> Uh, so we have, I believe, we have two more awards to give out. We have the no three more awards: the men's match of the year, the commentator of the year, and the male wrestler of the year. So commentator of the year, uh, only four people get nominated. Wade Barrett received ten percent of the vote. Wade Barrett was my pick. I think if he had been on SmackDown longer, he would have got more. I believe if Jonah returned to SmackDown instead of Raw and we got to hear Wade Barrett yell, <laughs> then I think it would have been I think it would have been his year, but unfortunately not. Uh, a tie for second place, the man in the mask and the man with the football in the groin, uh, Pat McAvee and Escalibur both getting 25% of the vote. But I didn't vote for this man, but I'm delighted that he won because for too long... Michael Cole has been chastised. Michael Cole, much like when Rey Mysterio got booed in the Royal Rumble for not being Daniel Bryan, that was his only crime. Michael Cole's only crime was that he was hired by WWE to replace someone that everyone loved. He didn't make that decision, and he has been chastised and booed and unfairly, unfairly put down ever since. Michael Cole has won our Commentator of the Year with 40% of the vote, and you know what? May I have your attention, please? <laughs> because it is about damn time Michael Cole got some goddamn recognition. Yeah. It was either between him or Pat for me, but I, I, I admit I did vote for Pat just because you know he just added a whole level, whole new level of fun to it. But I am, I am thrilled that Michael Cole has been recognised because when at Clash at the Castle be exclusive for you when the commentators come out and do their entrances before the thing goes live i mm-hmm. swear michael cole got one of the loudest pops the entire night and like and then when Corey and byron came out they just got met with booze so michael cole was the only one getting the loudest pop and what a change from like six years ago when he wasn't getting the best reception at raw glasgow either more people were cheering for Corey graves that night i mean how the how the how things have changed and without Triple H yelling in his ear, or sorry, without Vince McMahon yelling in his ear now, he 
feels much more natural when it comes to commentating. He's allowed to say the forbidden words. Now he's a, he's allowed to acknowledge like achievements outside of WWE. Like it's no longer in that bubble anymore. And I would just I would have given him the title of best commentator just purely for his commentary in the Edge Balor I quit match at Extreme Rules. Oh, like, was great. He's your father for God's sake. Somebody needs to give that kid a smack. <laughs> like that was just oh you can just hear the anger in his voice, <laughs> knowing that he's beaten up, like his own son is beaten up Rey Mysterio. I, you know what? I've been singing these praises since the best commentator show we did back in 2018. People, people were talking about, you know, people talk about Corey Graves. You know, he get cheered and then he get booed when we realised he wasn't that good. The flash in the pan that was Mauro Ronaldo because he was the hipster's choice on NXT because he didn't have Vince screaming in his ear. And I said, let's see how he does in the main roster. And he flopped. Michael Cole fought through adversity. And quite, quite frankly, I am here for the Michael Cole revival because he deserves every minute of it, Scott. Oh, the love of mankind. <laughs> no, I mean... I voted for Michael Cole because it's about damn time, as you said, Russ. I remember the glory days of Michael Cole on SmackDown with Taz back in the day, you know, back when he had frost tips, blonde hair, and Michael Cole. And, <laughs> and the yeah, this has Ash. been a great. Yeah, I mean, and you, yeah, you could say Pat could have got this as well. I think Pat has a lot to do with get the revival of Michael Cole, feel more natural, someone he can play off of, and also the fact he's a lot more free and isn't having someone shout in his ear. And I think. Like the biggest like sign that Cole was like changing as a commentator and was gonna get better was like I can't remember what ways he said, but Corey Gray's response to this said, I preferred you when you didn't get you weren't allowed to have an opinion and Cole's <laughs> music was well that's all changed. <laughs> oh, that was that was so good. Corey Graves, by the way, people don't like him, but that line and uh, I don't know if you've seen it, um the the most recent after the bell He's not being. He's the one being interviewed by uh, Kevin Patrick, and he talks about the call he did right off the top of his head, Corey Graves, um, and it was uh, talking about Cody Rhodes's torn pectoral. He says, "With a broken wing, the son of a the son of the dream flew into hell and had a battle with Satan himself." And you're like, "That's such a great line." That's <laughs> like something Buddy Jr. would have said. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. If JR said it, people would have been spunking their drawers. If JR had said he's your father for God's sake, like they would have been the exact same reaction. Yeah. He would have followed, he would have followed up with the face. Do you have no heart? Do you have no soul? You son yeah, of a bitch. Speech. Why? Tell me why. Michael Cole has been sensational on SmackDown. He's been sensational on pay-per-views. He's called some of the best matches of the year. And that takes us right in to our match of the year. Um, Some of the people who get nominated, uh, Roman Reigns, Brock Lesnar, Last Man Standing. Got a shout out. That was Gary that voted for that. Uh, Seth Rollins, Cody Rhodes, WrestleMania match got a, a Call Sefi, Cody, and Helena Cell 
got Christ, the only one they didn't get voted was their match at Backlash. That was actually quite good as well. Yeah, um, the, second, the, the second of the trilogy is always the weakest one. Um, Empire Strikes Back, but all right. Um, or the Dark Knight, but anyway, moving on. This isn't first time film, guys. All right, this isn't first time film. <laughs> David Campbell's listening, going, "No, you're wrong." But um, uh, the men's war games match got ten point five three percent of the vote. Orange Cassidy versus Will Osprey at Forbidden Door get fifteen point seven nine percent of the vote. But the absolute runaway leader for match of the year. And someone else having an absolute revival in their career here, someone who for too long has been chastised, Gunther versus Sheamus for the Intercontinental Championship at Clash at the Castle, won match of the year with 57.89% of the vote. Over, over half the vote, Gunther, Sheamus, David, I mentioned, obviously, not being there, it took away from a lot from me and a lot of it being spoiled. But this match, this and their match on SmackDown, holy hell, these lads beat the the living daylights out of each other. Yeah, listen, let me tell you when I say this, and I remember reviewing Clash at the Castle with Scott um, when we came back from Cardiff. Before we went out, we all agreed amongst all of us that went, this was going to be the match that would steal the show. And boy, were we right about that. Because I'm kind of surprised it went on second, because I would have accepted if it went on first, or maybe like the match in the middle, like the semi-main event, kind of. But holy shit. I was never expecting, like let alone a big meaty men slap and meat match to be that damn <laughs> good. And just to put it into perspective, we were all on like the first tier row of seats, like above floor level. So we were a good bit away from the ring and we could hear almost all of Gunther's chops across Seamus's chest. That's how loud they were. And it just had, everything you could want you know you had the faction warfare between the brutes and imperium whilst those two just sort of stood staring at each other it was it was like time stood still while everything else just fell apart around them but when these guys like Seamus is all about you know being a fighter and you know he just beats people up it doesn't do anything like insanely fancy it's all just about beating each other up and Gunther to an extent is kind of the same. You know, he's just about pulverizing his opponents. Every single moment of this match was flawless. Like from the 10 beats of the Bowery to the, the shenanigans outside the ring over the barricade, the, the chest slaps, the, the near falls. Holy hell. Like the big splash with the 2.9 kick out, Sheamus dealing with his uh, his lower back injury, which ended up costing him the match. Like, that was storytelling done to perfection. Hitting the... I think he got the bro kick, but again, it was another near fall. And then it wasn't until the... Uh, I think it was like a big lariat that put him down, finally. But, oh my gosh. Everybody was exhausted just watching that because it could have gone either way. 
and Seamus getting a standing ovation at the end as well. It just goes to show, like, that was Seamus's revival completed. And as a result, that basically the crowd forced him to turn face again along yeah. the Brutes. But I thought what was really heartwarming is that when he was coming up the ramp, I don't know if you saw this on TV or not, but he actually did the high fives with everybody up the ramp, etc. And he was really engaging with the audience. And me, where me and Stevie were sat, we were like just to the left of the the entrance bit, you know, just before the ramp. And he looked up at all of us uh, just before he went back and he just like pointed at them all, pointed at us, at us all and just like showed his appreciation because he, I'd say that is his, his best match in 13 years in WWE. And it's obviously it's another five-star performance from Gunter. It <laughs> was, it was truly, truly remarkable. So Scott, Dave wasn't too keen on it, but what were your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, like I say, I couldn't even tell Dave, did you like it or not? <laughs> uh, oh, no, no, no. Uh, this was hands down, hands down, one of the best matches I've ever seen. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I think this was a match of the weekend for a lot of people, which is no small feat considering like everything else you had on like Clash at Castle, World Collide and All Out also happened that weekend. Uh, I think it was just like, I think everybody had an idea of what they wanted this match to be. I think they gave you that in spades. Just like, big meaty men slapping me. And, like, Sheamus is great in these kind of matches. Walter, as we've seen with, like, Dragunov and people like that, is great in these kinds of matches. Occasionally, they got free rate and just, like, have the match we all wanted them to have. Like you said, they had Imperium and everybody around ringside. The return of Giovanni Vinci at the start of the match is part of yes. Imperium. But got a great reaction out of me. Because uh, like the camera work on at home, like just it's just a close of him, and you think he's gonna just uh, Walter and goes, please be upstanding for. I said Giovanni Vinci, and the camera pans out, and then he's done there, and like oh Jesus, because <laughs> I wasn't seeing a lot of him in the like two point oh, but I kind of wished he was with Imperium, and then he was back with Imperium, and it was like weird because like everybody wanted because they have a long reign, you know, this was the first IC title defense on pay since Mania thirty seven. But also, like, the story was so good. And by the end, you wanted Sheamus to win. And I think coming out of it, people wanted Sheamus to get another shot and to win the title because, you know, his whole thing is he wants to be the Grand Slam champion and he needs that IC belt to do it. Yeah, it was it was one of those, even though I knew there was a lot of it, sensational. And you know, personally, I'd give the edge just to the other match because I didn't, I didn't get that one spoiled for me. But... I have absolutely no problem with this being match of the year. An absolute sensational match. And we move into our final uh, category, male wrestler of the year. And this is going to be a tiebreaker, guys. So this is going to be a hard one to do. But the two men in question, Gunther and Sheamus, each received 10% of the vote. Uh, MGF and Chris Jericho, both received 5% of the vote for Male Wrestler of the Year. Seth Rollins and John Moxley each received 15% of the vote, but tied with 20% of the vote each, the undisputed Universal Champion Roman Reigns and Mr. Usi himself, Sami Zayn. What, what a year 
this has been, guys, when Stone Cold Steve Austin returning to wrestling doesn't even get a mention. Roman Reigns, the guy who's run WWE for the past two years, is tied with the guy who had the comedy match with Johnny Knoxville. Not just the comedy match, but the comedy feud that spanned over multiple pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he has managed to insert himself as this this sort of leech that has become part of the family. And through almost... It's almost Daniel Bryan, Kane-esque with Team Hell No. These were meant to be heels, but they were just so charismatic and funny that the crowd has just warmed to them. Sami Zayn tied for first place with Roman Reigns. 2022 has been a hell of a year, guys. (laughs) (laughs) That's one way of putting it, yeah. But the reason I would back Roman Reigns over Sami Zayn is that let's... Let's not forget that Roman Reigns hasn't been pinned in over three years. He's been undisputed. Well, he's been universal champion since SummerSlam 2020. He unified the WWE and universal titles at WrestleMania this year. He's put on a number of massive spectacles over big shows. You know, he was part of the last man standing match with Brock Lesnar. That got a lot of attention. He won the War Games match. He got a great match out of Logan Paul in Saudi Arabia, a match that was way better than it should have been. And he has just been the commanding presence of SmackDown as long as I can remember over the last couple of years. Sami Zayn, as great as he's been, you know, adding a bit of character to the Bloodline storyline, you know, inventing the the feeling Usi phrase, you know, making every single member of the bloodline break character, even Solo Sokoa, to an extent, who's meant to be like the hard man enforcer. His storytelling with Jey Uso inside War Games as well was was outstanding to, to watch. But in terms of matches over this year, he actually hasn't won a lot. You know, he's mainly just there to add a bit of character and a little bit of storytelling to the Bloodline stable as a whole. But in terms of, like, scoring wins and creating big moments on pay-per-view, as well as being part of the Bloodline story, Roman Reigns was a no-brainer for me. Scott, it could be said that, um, that this is less about the start of the year and more about the the more recent part of the year. Roman Reigns at the start of the year um, was in three straight pay-per-view title matches in a row and then main event of WrestleMania Backlash in a non-title match. But he didn't appear on Hell in a Cell. He didn't appear on uh, Money in the Bank. He then had three pay-per-views in a row along with a, a title match against Riddle on SmackDown. But other than that, he's not not wrestled a lot in the second half of the year, certainly post-WrestleMania. Sami Zayn, Dave mentioned, he hasn't won a lot, but he's won over the crowd 
while being a heel and he's won over mm-hmm. the entire wrestling world just about like yeah I mean I think it's not just matches you need to think about in terms of like best wrestler sometimes you need to think about like storyline especially in the major companies like WWE or AW so I think these two have been linked in that they've been a part of the biggest storyline or the best storyline in WWE the storyline they have encompasses like the whole show everything seems to be built around like stuff that's going on the bloodline and mm-hmm. so when when everything's built around that one story you need to make sure the people involved hit out of the park and both of them have been have been doing that I lean more towards like Sami Zayn because yeah he hasn't won as much as, as Roman but like I think as the the, th- the idea like he's been trying to prove himself to the bloodline like either through wins or like even if he loses he still comes back to that story like, yes, do you see stuff proved himself at war games and then before that you had everything with Joy Knoxville like I think it shows a level of trust in Sam we were talking about at the time that he got put in that position and he made it work like few other wrestlers probably on the roster would, would have been able to and the thing it's a testament to his talent that like they didn't wrap the story up in like a few weeks the stuff with Roman like they probably would have done back in the Vince era like they've let it play out I think it's like one of the better long term stories that he's done Maybe even since like the Jer- Jericho Kevin Owens stuff like in twenty sixteen twenty seventeen. Yeah, I I agree. He's been con- and he's he's had a lot. He's, it's allowed to play out, and I'm just not a fan of the fact that it looked as if Roman was going to pull double duty. Roman has then been pulled back, and since WrestleMania, he's defended the title four times. He's defended against Riddle, Lesnar, McIntyre, and Logan Paul. All great matches, all contenders for match of the year. But it just I feel that <laughs> I felt under Vince it suffered from not having a world champion there, and he's part of that problem with his booking at the minute. Sami Zayn also, his matches I find a little more interesting because, as Dave, you mentioned, Roman hasn't been pinned in two years. I think it's, I think it's pretty obvious that at some point he's going to lose one of the titles, but he's not going to lose both titles till at least WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. And that depends who he faces. If he faces The Rock, I think he beats him. If he faces Rhodes or McIntyre again or Seth Rollins... I think he loses the title. So Sami Zayn's just got a lot more interest factor about him for me. Mm-hmm. And I like that it's someone, see at the start of the year, if you had said in 2022, Sami Zayn, ahead of John Moxley, who has busted his arse for AEW, ahead of Chris Jericho, who won the Ring of Honor title, ahead of Roman Reigns, the guy who's been champion in WWE, it's certainly Universal Champion for 861 days at this point in counting. Uh, Gunther and Sheamus, we mentioned their feud and their rivalry. MGF finally winning the big one in AEW. Seth Rollins, current, uh, sorry, former United States Champion, running rampant in, a, in WWE. Crowd eating out of his hands. They've been forced to turn him face as well. But I just, I can't go against Sami Zayn. Just, not since the New Day 
has someone been so organically taken in by the crowd and made into a face? And I, I've said it before, you know, there's the rumours that Sami Zayn in Montreal is going to take on Roman Reigns. We all know he's not going to win, but there is going to be that one moment, that one halluva kick, where we all bite. And we're all going to do it, and we know we're going to do it. <laughs> it doesn't stop the fact that we're going to do it. And it, it just his matches this year, the, the stuff in War Games, the stuff with Kevin Owens, the stuff with... Uh, so the stuff when he was trying to get in to the bloodline, annoying the life out of Paul Heyman. And yeah, the stuff with Knoxville was in a continental title run at the start of the year. The stuff with Ricochet was quite good as well. It's just been a great year for Sami Zayn. And I'm going to be the tiebreaker again. I'm going to go Sami Zayn. Sami Zayn, our <sighs> new wrestler of the year for 2022. Not for the love of Christ. <laughs> Why don't you like fun? We had this argument on don't recently. You, I know, I know. Don't you diss the honorary us? Uh, I'm not feeling oozy <laughs> about that at all. But you know what? And, we'll, hey, we'll, hey, agree, hey, we'll agree to disagree on that. Hey, and hey, and at the time of recording, uh, sorry, on the day this goes out, Sami Zayn is going to be in the main event of SmackDown, teaming with the undisputed Universal Champion to take on Kevin Owens and John Cena. Who saw that at the start of the year? Like, you can't... You, you can't write that, David. That's just natural charisma. But anyway, just a quick run-through before we finish up here, folks. We have went long. We've had a lot to discuss, trying to cram the entire year into one show. But our male wrestler of the year with 20% of the vote and a tiebreaker, Sami Zayn, our female wrestler of the year with over 70% of the vote, Bianca Belair. Our commentator of the year with 40% of the vote, Michael Cole. Our best known wrestler with 42.11% of the vote, the wise man, Paul Heyman. Our match of the year with 57.89% of the vote, Gunther v. Sheamus for the IC title at Clash of the Castle. The worst match of the year, Shotzi v. Ronda Rousey for the SmackDown Women's title at Survivor Series with 42.11% of the vote. Pay-per-view of the year decided by tiebreaker, WrestleMania 38. Was it 38, 38 wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Iron Sheik finally made it to the ring. <laughs> <laughs> the worst pay-per-view of the year with 50% of the vote, the Royal Rumble. The most shocking moment of the year with 50% of the vote, Vince McMahon has to step down from WWE. Our best non-AEW WWE wrestler, Josh Alexander, with a tiebreaker vote and 21.5% of the vote. And with 12.5% of the vote and the tiebreaker, our biggest non-AEW slash WWE match or moment of the year was Slammiversary Impact Celebrates 20 Years. Wow. <laughs> Quite a show we had there, guys. Yeah, and very uh, little mention of Stone Cold Steve Austin as well, who made his ring return. Yeah, well, hey, we are we are going to possibly be getting The Rock versus Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. If in 2023 we do our award show and there's hardly any mention of The Rock, we'll have had a, a cra a, an equally crazy year. Mm -hmm. Do you have any, any big predictions for 2023, Scott? I'll start with you. Oh, Jesus, thanks for that. 
Uh, <laughs> Dave, if you've got one ready to go, you can start. Yeah. I think Rhea Ripley will become the dominant women in WWE and she'll win the Royal Rumble. Okay. Scott, you've had time to think. It doesn't have to be WWE or AEW. It can be New Japan. You are on the road to Wrestle Kingdom as we speak. Yeah, I mean, we honestly be anything I say about New Japan, I don't think you'll <laughs> I don't think you'll have it'll mean as much here. Uh I don't I'll say here's a bold one. Roman Reigns won't do double duty and won't lose one of his belts until SummerSlam. There you go. Not entirely sure I believe it, but I'm gonna say it. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I actually I I think he won't do double duty and I think if he faces the rock he retains the title. I think The Rock is like the final boss battle for him. And you mentioned SummerSlam. I think that might be what it takes to build someone up to take the title from him in that time period. Can we see the promo between those two? The Rock does his usual, like, was like awesome promo throwing at Catfree, that to Catfree, everyone just stares at him and just goes, Black Adam was shit. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know what? And we mentioned we had very little Stone Cold on this show. I am going to throw it out there. Stone Cold Steve Austin will wrestle at least twice in 2023. Stone Cold Steve Austin, if The Rock's going to beat WrestleMania, Stone Cold Steve Austin will wrestle more than The Rock this year. There we are. That's my that's my big prediction. There you go. Oh, and Sonya, eh, no Sonya Deville, Shayna Baszler will be the person to dethrone Ronda Rousey. I'd take that. I'd do that. But thank you very much to everyone who helped us vote and uh, put together this show. We can't do it without your help. So thank you very much to everyone on our Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat community page over on Facebook. Thank you very much to all our listeners league uh, who take part in our ESSR draft. Uh, Saturday Draft Live guys obviously on the show with me here. Uh, Is that coming back in the new year? It is, yes. We've been off the last couple of weeks just give everybody a bit of a Christmas break, but we will be back first Saturday of January. Part-timers. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I thank you very much to all the people who help with the podcast for contributing with their votes. Don't forget, you can listen to our massive back catalogue, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, iTunes, Anchor, Spotify and Android. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, you name it, we're there, at Suplex Retweet. Let us know what you think. Who was your wrestler of the year? Was it on this? Who was your non-WWE AEW wrestler of the year? Do you disagree with any of these picks? Who do you think should be nominated that didn't get enough love here? And what do you think your predictions for 2023 will be? Let us know on all our social media platforms. All that remains to say is thank you very much to Scott and David. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll see you in the new year. See you soon and happy new year. Hi, I'm Scott McLeod. And I'm Grant McGrobby. We are the hosts of the monthly show on Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat East Meets West. Where we'll bring you all the latest happenings, reviews and big events from New Japan and the land of the Far East. You can remember to check that out on the Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat podcast feed on all good Android podcasting sites like Anchor, Spotify or iTunes now. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? 
Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.